Howdy, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of TGC Midweek. Jacob and Michael back with you on the pod. Michael, what's happening, man? Not a whole lot. I'm just I'm I'm a little angry because it's still hot outside. Yeah, it was it was quite warm today. I put on I put on pants and a button down shirt and I started sweating immediately. Yeah, of course you did. And so I I switched into shorts and a button. (laughs) Are you angry or hangry? Uh, Heat plus anger. I guess that could be hangry. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Hot angry. Yeah. Yeah. That's the worst kind. Yeah, it's definitely still pretty warm out there. I've got friends that live in other parts of the country, and I'm on a text chain with them, and they were sending their next seven-day forecast where they live. And it was like the lows were in the mid-50s, and it was 68 and sunny for highs. And then I'll That's take, mean. I'll take a screenshot of San Antonio, and we're in the 90s for the foreseeable yeah, future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think tomorrow is the first day of fall, technically, and our yes. high temperature for tomorrow is 99. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, it's a hot one out there for sure. Um, fellas, question of the week this week. Hold on, I lost it. Hold on, there it is. What's the dumbest way you've ever been hurt? Guillermo? All right. Yeah. Um, this one goes back to college. Uh, when I went to school, we had to take a uh, aerobic fitness test and a physical fitness test. And part of the physical fitness test was a standing long jump. And so in the uh, stairwells, they had uh, areas that you could practice. They were marked off. So you could actually go out and you know practice standing long jump. And so uh, one of the tests was coming up. I was out there, uh, you know, being like, all right, I'm, I'm terrible at this. It was one of the things I just, I just you know, wasn't a long standing long jumper. And uh, so I, I did a few jumps in and uh, I noticed a, a girl who's a class ahead of me is walking up the stairwell. And so I figure, well, let me just impress her with a the longest standing long jump I've ever accomplished. And uh, so I took off. Feet went out from under me. I put my hand back and I broke my thumb. Nice. And uh, that tends to be the case when you kind of exceed your limits to impress a lady. At least that's my experience. So lesson learned. Uh, Mm. Stay within, stay in your zone, stay in your lane or else you suffer a broken digit. Yep. There you go. Um, I have broken 100%. Of my pinky toes. Ooh. Yeah. That's painful. Interesting. They exist purely to find door frames <laughs> and table legs. Yep. And I just, I don't know, man, something about walking through a door mm-hmm. at night, you just bang, smack that thing, and uh, then it's all purple and swollen. And mm. yeah, the first time I went to a, uh, uh, get, an, get an x-ray because I like couldn't walk, you know, they're like, yep, it's broken. I was like, yes, I am aware that it's broken. What do we do about it? Like, well, we wait for it to heal. <laughs> okay. Much. So the next time I broke it, I was like, well, I <laughs> not just got a limp doctor. on it for yeah. a few weeks now. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. You, you never realize how important your pinky toe is for stabilizing the foot hmm. uh, until, until you can't use it. So. <laughs> hmm. Oh, man. Well, uh, for me, I guess it was back in seventh grade. I was at a friend's house after school, and he had a few dirt bikes. <laughs> And I'd never ridden a dirt bike before, and we thought it would be a good idea for me to hop on one and take a spin around his yard. And he gave me a crash course on how to use the clutch and shift gears, which if you've ever ridden a motorcycle or a dirt bike, you know, it's not too difficult. But if you've never done it before, 
um, there's some coordination involved and yeah. knowledge. It's not too difficult, but there is a learning curve. Oh, yeah. And so I know where the throttle is, and I know where the clutch is on my left hand, but I don't really know how to switch gears. And so I just hop on and kind of hit the throttle. And I'm, you know, herky-jerky uh-huh. uh, going down his driveway. And I think I'm able to switch into second gear somehow. And I, I just briefly miss being hit by a car at the end of his driveway, <laughs> take a hard right turn, hit the ditch, and drop the bike and roll over. And I look down at my right leg, and there is a gaping hole. Nice. Where Whoa. my, um, uh, what is that muscle? Uh, your your uh, calf? Yeah, your calf. Okay. And so the, uh, the, the peg of the dirt bike had found its way into my leg. Oof. And wow. scooped out a pretty big little chunk of nice. flesh. Um, the interesting thing is that it didn't bleed much. Uh, and I looked down and immediately cried out, I can see my bone and got rushed to the hospital. Uh, and it took 38 stitches, kind of three layers worth to close up. Wow. And I've got a pretty neat scar because it got infected, as you might imagine. Uh-huh. I mean, it's hard to clean uh, a wound like that. And so it's it's wider than it should be, not as clean. Um, but I, I tell some people some pretty good stories when they ask me how I got that scar. That's not true. So. <laughs> Gator <laughs> ask got me, me. Ask me one day, and I might share one of those stories. Yeah. <laughs> I always make sure that you leave knowing the truth, but yeah. play yeah. with you initially. That's great. That's great. You know, come to think of it, I can't think of many ways I've been hurt that were not dumb. You know, most injuries that I've sustained have been, like, embarrassing or, or dumb, <laughs> you know. It's not, not really a good one, Yeah, you know. Your pinky toes, huh? Pinky toes. When I was a kid, I was playing Ultimate Frisbee, and I ran into another kid and split a gash in my head. Yeah. So not quite 38 stitches. I think I had a dozen or so. That's pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Bled all down my Now, the head does bleed. The uh, head will bleed, Disproportionately. It'll scare you. Yeah. Yeah, that was was pretty cool. I think I was probably a sophomore in high school or between sophomore and junior or something. Um, But got to spend the entire afternoon with the um, 20-year-old camp nurse. Yeah. So that was a win, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. A win for little Jacob. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Let me tell you, Jacob. high school Jacob was in. That was that was a good day. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry if people are squeamish. We're talking about blood from the head blood. and open wounds in the calf. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Well, Michael, let's continue on to our regularly scheduled programming. Just started a new series last week looking at the Sermon on the Mount. So last week we did a little bit of an introduction. I don't know if you want to recap some of that, but um, today, uh, launching into the beginning part of the sermon with the Beatitudes. Yeah, I think it'd be uh, important to uh, just provide a little more context. Last week, we talked about this is likely a sermon that Jesus preached many times during his earthly ministry. It's likely what he intended his disciples to move out and teach when he gave them the great commission of making disciples. Uh, they would have heard Jesus preach this sermon uh, a number of times, likely during his ministry and his life, and they would have taken this sermon out as well. Uh, in this sermon, Jesus is really shaping and forming his followers. He, he's giving us a picture of what a Christ follower looks like. And most of the time, especially for those of us that uh, have grown up in the church, the Sermon on the Mount has kind of lost its punch in many mm-hmm. ways. It's just normal for us. We've grown used to it. And we don't consider how radical Christ's teaching really is, specifically in that day and age, in that culture, the Greco-Roman world. 
Um, and so a good homework assignment might be over the coming weeks, if you're interested in this series and tuning into this podcast, is just sit down and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in one sitting. I don't know. It might take you. You did it, didn't you? Did it yeah, I did it last week. Minutes? 20 minutes. Yeah. 15, yeah. Like um, and there's some peculiar teaching, uh, as you'll uh, see. Um, he puts forth a radical view of sexuality. Um, a radical view of dealing with hostility uh, against you, uh, a radical uh, view of of giving, saying um, not to let anyone know anything about uh, what you give at all. Um, there's a there's a lot of radical teaching, a radical view of ethics in life, um, and you read it, and it makes you want to ask, who lives like this? This isn't the way the world works. It's contrary to everything we experience in our culture. And it's interesting that if you think about um, some characteristics that were popular in the first century Greco-Roman world, the virtues that were popular were courage and wisdom and temperance and justice and endurance. And here you've got Jesus talking about being poor in spirit and mourning and being meek. And it just would have would have felt a little bit strange uh, in that culture. Um, and so to unvarnished eyes, this sermon should really come across as fairly crazy. Uh, But like I said, Jesus is teaching his disciples what it looks like to follow him. He's painting for us a picture of the good life, a life characterized by wholeness. And even though it's initially weird to our culture's sensibilities, uh, it's also strangely attractive. And we touched on that last week. Neighbors generally are attracted to us when we live this way. Um, And now it might make them angry, uh, because sometimes our holiness exposes other people's lack of holiness, uh, but it also is is attractive. Um, and the things that Jesus teaches in this sermon make us distinctive in the world. It shows us what life in the kingdom looks like. Uh, it's how a person in right relationship with God should act. And that's key. We don't act this way in order to earn relationship with God. Once we have right relationship with God, this is the way we should act. And so I think about this and the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to pray for somebody or pray for yourself, the Beatitudes and the fruit of the Spirit are great things to pray for. We've mentioned this in the past. Uh, Lord, give me more poverty of spirit. Give me more meekness. Help me to mourn more over sin that I find in my own heart and in this world. And then lead me out to be a peacemaker, to be pure in heart, to be one that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Um and some of these teachings, they, they're going to feel real strange because we're not used to living this way mm-hmm. um, as we move through the Sermon on the Mount series over the coming weeks. So, Do you, um, do you have more you want to unpack or you want to start going through these kind of one by one? Because I've got yep. some questions for you that I'm thinking that are kind of swirling around in my head on some of these uh, based on some of the stuff you just said. Not not challenges or, or sure. disagreements, but just kind of like want to kind of understand some of this stuff. Yep. So the first is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. So when you said we should pray for, give me more poverty of spirit, what, is that, what does that mean? Because I, I would understand this as like, to be poor in spirit is to kind of, um, to, have a, to be in a condition of spiritual need. Like, mm-hmm. um, if I'm poor in spirit, then I then I need something to cover that gap a little bit. Um, uh, and so I like as a, 
as a Christian, I kind of understand the connection between blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of the gospel in essence a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, those of us who have this need, Jesus comes in and fills this need and ours is the kingdom of heaven, right? So, but why should, why should I want more poverty of spirit? Isn't this a message to those who exist in a condition and then it becomes filled? Do you see where I'm going with this? And I don't know if it's even well, yeah. well thought out. I wonder if, um, if maybe I can throw some thoughts out and then we can, you can see if it's hitting what you're asking. But the idea that the Christian life is not, is not becoming less aware of your sin, but more. And not to say that we don't put sin to death through the course of the Christian life, but as we become more aware of God's holiness and our own depravity, sometimes you, you, so Paul's a perfect example. I mean, I can't, I can't think of how many times I've used this over the past year, but a progression of him recognizing his sin mm-hmm. through the course of his life, where at the end of his life, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. I am, I'm the poorest in spirit, you might say. Okay. Um, and so, but early on in his life, he said, I'm the least of all the apostles. And then a few years later, he says, uh, or I'm, I'm the least of all the saints. And then a few years later, at the end of his life, he says, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. Mm-hmm. And so there's this progression where obviously we would make the argument that Paul was probably becoming more righteous and holy. So Mm -hmm. sanctification in his life was being experienced and sin was being put to death. But that doesn't mean that his sensitivity to sin uh, didn't decrease through his life. It it, it increased. And so there's a little bit of um, paradox there. We're becoming more Christ-like, but it doesn't always feel that way. Yeah. Um, and, and I think Paul's a great example there, biblically speaking, but Jesus, when he says, blessed are the poor, he, he's saying, blessed are the impoverished, those who are completely dependent. And he's using a strong word here, the strongest possible word for poverty. And it would be used to describe the welfare poor today, um, the underclass of our society. And so what was Jesus thinking? What kind of teaching is this? Poor isn't a word that we normally use as a positive connotation. And so you'd have to say Jesus is saying that you're blessed. And another word for blessed would be fortunate or happy. You're fortunate, you're happy when you find yourself in a position of spiritual poverty because that's whose God favor rests upon. Um, God is attracted to those who recognize their need is the way you might say it. And so you're blessed when you've reached rock bottom or when you come to a realization that you have um, a need for dependence, spiritually speaking, when you have nothing left, when you feel like you can't make it. Um, And that's not really a place that we like to be. And it's actually, like we were talking about, it's a place that we want to grow out of in some ways as we follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. We want to see holiness blossom in our life. But there's this aspect of we should always retain a poverty of spirit recognizing our sin. Um, and so I don't know if that scratches the no, itch. No, it, it, it does. Where I'm getting hung up on is there is the, there's the condition of sin and the awareness of the severity of sin. Mm-hmm. And the condition of sin, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. The condition of sin um, it kind of pervades our entire being, and it doesn't really... I don't know if it's right to to say this, so I'm just going to throw it out. It doesn't really uh, change or worsen. As we mature in faith, our mm-hmm. awareness of that condition changes dramatically. And when you become aware, I love how you're going with this, when you become more aware, you should become 
cognizant that you can't be self-reliant. Yeah. And so this poverty of spirit is an absence of self-reliance. We have no resources uh, in and of ourselves and our, in our own uh, fallen state to move towards God. And so we're poor. We, you know, what is somebody that has no resources? I mean, that's, that's what they are. They're poor, meaning those that know that they need God's grace is what Jesus is talking about here. Um, we we realize that we we're needy people. Okay, but there's a difference between those that need God's grace and those that are aware that they need God's grace. Uh-huh. And this is where, like, I I get I get what we're saying, but it's still kind of moving around a little bit in my head because. I, all right, let me say something that might sound stupid. Isn't everybody poor in spirit because everybody has the same need? Yeah, they just don't recognize it. So blessed or fortunate are you? If you realize and recognize that. So is that poverty, poverty of spirit, spirit the awareness of sin or the condition of I, sin? I, it's it's got to be the awareness. Right? I don't disagree I, with you. I'm trying to f- find the connection between the term poverty of spirit and that awareness piece. Because, I would say it's both. So it's both, it's, it's, it's both the condition, i.e., you need to get there to get into the kingdom. But then as Jesus does and as the kingdom is, it's counterintuitive. So we think of maturing in the in our realm here as growing up and as we mature, we become more independent of our parents. We seek to go out on our own. And that is the sign of maturity and growth where it seems to me that in Jesus saying in the kingdom, maturity and growth is actually becoming more dependent, not independent of the father. And so not only is it the entrance, it is the sustaining of, Hey, this is a sign of the kingdom is yours. Is that as you are walking, you're becoming more aware of your need and more aware that you are in need of my grace on a daily basis, hourly basis, minute basis. Um, so, I, I mean, that's my two cents. I don't know if that's, yeah. you know, if that's not helpful. I I understand all that. And I don't want to dwell on this piece too much because I could probably do this with all of these and we'll be here for a long time. But what what would it mean to be rich in spirit? Is is I I guess where I'm coming down, where I'm trying to understand, like, but those who are poor in spirit are not rich in spirit. So, what is the essence of spirit here? That if we're poor in it, that we lack. So, spirit here is some kind of resource which the poor in spirit lack. The best way I guess to understand that is to understand who is someone who's rich in spirit. Yeah, I don't know. Are you are you spiritually poor or spiritually prideful? Might be a way to ask the question. Okay, um, those that that are spiritually rich might that might not be the best synonym for poor in spirit. Okay, it might be spiritually prideful, and those that are spiritually prideful wouldn't recognize their spiritual pride. Um, yeah, but they don't recognize their need. But I do love where you're going here, Jacob, with the awareness and the reality. We would say that everybody is poor in spirit. Yeah, everybody has no room for spiritual pride in their life. 
Um, but Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you're aware of that. And blessed are you when you become increasingly aware of that poverty of spirit through your life, even though you might be experiencing progressive sanctification along the way. And so um, awareness, reality, I, I mean, I like that. I also, I, I feel your tension here. I mean, because he doesn't say those things. He says, sure. blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Yeah. And so we're trying to discern and translate yeah. what is what does Jesus mean here um, in light of what 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 we read in the rest of the scriptures and with the rest of his teachings, and so uh, you know we're 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 basically writing a, a large commentary on how many words poor I mean five right. or six yeah, yeah, words yeah. right, uh, but this is I mean there's a poetic nature to this too the beatitudes, um, yes. and you know I'm not a poetry guy and it can frustrate me because I'm more rational logical and I'm like give me a definition here yeah and so I think that might be some of what we're bumping up against here. Um, not that this is like pure poetry, but I do think that it's it's poetic in nature the way that Jesus is talking here, and so um, that might be a little bit of the the rub. Well, doesn't doesn't he basically say the same type of thing when he's at the party and the uh, religious leaders show up and they're kind of getting after him, and he's like, "Hey, man, I didn't come for the healthy; I came for the sick." I think it's. I think it's the same idea that yeah. he's that he's laying yep. down here. Um, Those and, who recognize their need, right? Yeah, and they're like, "Whoa!" And they don't really know what to do with it because, in their minds, they're like, "Well, I'm healthy. Carry on, Jesus." Yep. Yeah. And I'm, if we experience poverty in spirit, it might. It, it often feels like we got to fix this. Instead of thinking this is a good spot to be, yeah, um, because this is where Jesus can actually meet me, yeah. And if I try to fix it on my own and I do fix it, man, that's that's a recipe for some pride, right? Yeah. Or if I try to fix it on my own and I can't, that's a recipe for despair. despair. Yeah. Um, and so, recognizing poverty of spirit, and then here's the key: I think there's a little bit of a progression. I don't know if Jesus had this in mind, but poverty, recognizing that, should lead us to the second beatitude. Um, it should okay. lead us to mourn for sin uh, in our lives. Um, and so uh, I think that we'll see a little bit of a progression as we move through the Beatitudes, but I don't want to move to the second one until you're satisfied, Jacob. Oh, Michael, I'm <laughs> I'm never going to be satisfied. I will say what's swirling around in my head is the idea of resources. Yeah. Um, you can have ample resources, but they may be insufficient to a task. Mm-hmm. So you might... A person who considers themselves to have resources in spirit, rich in spirit, um, would fall under that category, even though those resources are insufficient to the task. So those who are poor in spirit, even if they're, they may be more, uh, place more emphasis on morality or whatever, but they recognize their sinful condition and so conclude that they have no resources for this task. Mm-hmm. That's the condition of being poor in spirit, which I, we've been circling around all along. But um, yeah, I think the bottom line is we are dependent. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, fortunate are you when you recognize your dependence. Yeah. So, how does that segue into the second one? Because I always just read the second one: "Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted." Which is like, if you're sad, you won't be sad. Yeah. So, how are you getting from poor in <laughs> spirit to mourn? Must mean mourning over. Over sin. sin, yeah. Um, 
how to answer that question, that's an interesting one because part of me wants to say uh, getting at it through uh, centuries of uh, Christian teaching in some ways, right? I think but that, if, that's a legitimate answer. Yeah, that's I just, think it definitely is a legitimate yeah. answer. But if we're just looking at the text, I see what you're saying because it yeah. says, blessed are those who mourn yeah. for they shall be comforted. Now, we've got to ask, Jesus is talking about, he cares about physical and spiritual here. But when he's preaching this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he is gearing uh, his um, uh, his speech towards the spiritual aspect of our life. And so what are we mourning over? I mean, that's the question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think in context, uh, we're, we're poor in spirit because we recognize our dependence. And it moves into uh, this idea of spiritual poverty should lead us to mourn, to mourn over the sin that we find in ourselves that we're aware of now. Um, that's always been a reality, but that we become aware of because of God's grace and mourn the sin that we find all around us in in this world. And so another word for mourn might be heartbroken. Um, Fortunate are the heartbroken. Um, And the word carries a sense of weeping. Um, And so what are we weeping over? I think that you'd have to make the argument. I mean, there's options out there, I guess. But I think you'd have to make the argument that we're weeping, we're heartbroken over the fact that we've come to realize our poverty of spirit, our yeah. dependence on God, our sin. And that's all due to due to our sin, right? Right. So we're mourning over um, the broken nature of our lives in this world. We're grieving over our sinful condition because we've recognized our need, basically, is in... You know, a great question to ask ourselves is what are we mourning over? What are you heartbroken over in this world? Um, justice, immorality, suffering, does that break your heart? Do you mourn over those sort of things? Does the darkness in your own life cause you to mourn? Lack of integrity, apathy, willingness to cut corners, you know, you fill in the blank. These are things that break God's heart. Uh, sin breaks God's heart. Now, you also might think of God not being able to withstand sin, and so I don't want to use a, always use emotional language to describe God's relationship to sin. I mean, we can use a full-orbed description of how God relates to sin, but at least one way He relates to sin is He's heartbroken. I mean, you think of Him looking upon the world that He had made, and, and His heart was sad in mm-hmm. Genesis mm-hmm. Uh, chapter 6 uh, when He starts over with Noah. And so sin calls God to mourn. And here Jesus is saying, blessed or fortunate or happy are we when sin causes us to mourn as well. Um, And so we're called to mold our hearts after God's heart. And his heart not only hates sin, can't stand sin, he also is sad because of what it does to his good creation. And so to answer your question, Jesus doesn't say blessed are those who mourn over sin. But centuries, I guess, of of teaching and um, Christian tradition, along with contextual uh, translation and interpretation, leads us to 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 conclude that Jesus is talking about our spiritual state. Yeah. Um, I'll give it to you, even if I'm not <laughs> completely satisfied. But yeah. that's just my. Persuadiness. Sure. That's okay. Um, yeah. I, you, you might not be the only one not satisfied out there. <laughs> But I don't know if I can bring the satisfaction you're looking for, my friend. No, um, and, and, and that's fine. I mean, yeah. few can, really. But yeah. um, <laughs> um, all right, third one, blessed is the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is not a term that we use in day-to-day speech. Yep. Dare I ask, Michael, for a definition? 
Yeah, uh, I think um, so. Meekness um, concerns character, not personality. I think that's an important distinction to make. It's the opposite of ambition and envy. And so meekness is not demanding your rights, but you can be one of the loudest, strongest people in the world and still be meek. And so um, personality is not what we're talking about okay. um, here. Um, meekness, Jesus is saying fortunate are, um, in some ways, the little people in the eyes of the world um, because they'll be the ones that inherit the earth when all things are set right by God. So a meek person is one who makes no claims before God or other people. Um, like I said, uh, they, they don't um, demand their rights. Uh, they're an unaggressive person. Uh, they don't assert their rights on other people. Uh, and they can do this because they've got a true estimate of themselves. They realize mm. that there's really nothing to defend. And so a meek person is amazed that others can think as well of them as they do. Uh, And like I said, meekness doesn't mean that you're shy. Meekness doesn't mean that you're a pushover. Uh, It doesn't mean that you're off in a corner in a large crowd. That's personality. Um, You can be meek and be an extrovert. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you can be meek and like me be an introvert. Um, And so the bottom... The bottom line here is is meekness is you're recognizing you can't do it on alone. You're, you're understanding your position, and the mark of meekness is not the absence of assertiveness. It's the absence of self assertion, um, insistence, insistence on getting your way. Yeah, um, looking out for your own benefits. Uh-huh. Um, and so you can be assertive. I mean, in fact, we're called to be assertive. Yeah. Uh, but meekness has to do with what are we what are we being assertive about? Yeah. Um, okay. That's helpful. Yeah. I'm sensing a theme. I said something helpful, man. I'm glad. Yes, yes you did. First time tonight. <laughs> Michael, you're always helpful. Hey, I'm just in you. a mood. I don't know. I need to pat um, on the back every once in a while, Jacob. <laughs> um, I'm sensing a theme with these <laughs> with these first three here: poor in spirit, mourn, uh, uh, in parentheses over sin, um, and then. Uh, meekness all have to do with a sense of with a kind of spiritual self-awareness yep yep um it's exactly right yeah okay some folks would say that these three are beatitudes of need um and the 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 person that follows jesus is a needy person jesus comes and blesses you're fortunate if you realize that you are dependent and poor, if you're grief-stricken over sin, if you're unaggressive. And here's the, Jesus gives these type of people everything. Yeah. That's, you know, there's promises connected to these characteristics. And so these are the type of people who are in a place to receive God's love and grace and all of the benefits that are going to come along with him bringing restoration and renewal. And so these beatitudes of need, poverty of spirit, mourning over what we'd call sin, although it's not explicit in the Sermon on the Mount, and then meekness, um, beatitudes of need, lead to what some have identified as the center of righteousness, which is the fourth beatitude. This leads us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. And then it leads back out to the the final three Beatitudes, Beatitudes of action. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, and blessed are the peacemakers. And so we talked about this in the green room. I don't know if Jesus had this um, progression in mind when he gave the sermon, 
uh, I don't know, maybe the Holy Spirit who inspired his words and, and the writing of the scriptures had it in mind. Uh, and maybe, I mean, I hate to say this, I mean, because it might open a can of worms. Maybe Jesus didn't say these exact words in the moment, right? Um, we're can ta- opened. We are talking about uh, disciples crafting his words in a way that obviously makes sense in these three chapters. Yeah. And he, he could have said and likely did say a lot more than this. Uh-huh. And uh, he might not have said um, everything that we read verbatim. Or even in this order. Or even in that order. But Matthew, under inspiration from the Holy Spirit, is sort under of... Under inspiration from the Holy Spirit. Kind of like the way key. we're doing is like, there were these things that kind of fell yep. under the idea of, of self-awareness, and it sure. had to do with this, this, and this. And so he's kind of putting them together. And so Matthew, under inspiration of the Spirit, might very well have this progression in mind. Yeah. And that's why we see it. Yeah. But, and Jesus might very well have said these words verbatim, we don't, but there's an open possibility at least, and it doesn't mean that we're uh, being critical of the scriptures, it doesn't mean that we're moving away from Orthodox Christianity to say that. Yeah. Um, Because Matthew has an agenda, and Matthew is thematic. Yeah. And he's he's writing in a way that uh, gets his themes across. So, these Beatitudes of Need lead to the center of righteousness, which is hunger and thirst, and then it leads back out to how we engage our neighbors with mercy and purity of heart and becoming peacemakers. So. Um, do we want to continue the progression here? Do you yeah. have anything more to say on uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? No, I just think that, be that, satisfied? that's the result, like we mentioned. Where where does neediness lead? Yeah. Um, where are you going to find satisfaction? Um, even turn it around. You can't really hunger and thirst for righteousness unless you've been in this state of poverty of spirit, mourning over sin, et cetera. So if you were hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you're in a good spot. Yeah. If this is something you desire now, we want to desire it more and more as life continues, but you are not far from the kingdom of God, you might say. Yes. So, but this is the result, hunger and thirst. That's where the neediness leads. And then, it leads us back out to the Beatitudes of Action. Yep. We are loving people. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, that one, uh, that, I, I like the way that sounds. That's a, there's a nice, there's some music in the in that line, just because of the way it's circular oh, a yeah. little bit. But yeah, I mean that's kind of uh, self-explanatory too. Yeah, I think so. I was like, what do I say about this? Yeah, we've received <laughs> mercy from God, and so we extend it to others. Yeah, uh, we yeah. have compassion for people in need. Um. And so mercy might be looking like taking on the troubles of others. Um, you come to the aid of the needy. Um, grace is a gift, obviously, that someone doesn't deserve. Mercy is not giving people what they deserve. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we are people that are able to relent. Um, we're not giving people, uh, you know, I mean, if you want to get real practical about it, you're not giving people the ugly word or the ugly glance that they deserve maybe yeah. with their actions if yeah. you're a merciful person because you know that God has overlooked so much with you. Uh-huh. And so Jesus is like, you've got it. Pass it on to others. Be a merciful person. Um, yeah. So, yep. The next one, blessed is the pure in heart for they shall see God. This one is confusing to me because mm-hmm. we just talked. It seems to be an opposite in some way mm-hmm. of blessed are the poor in spirit. So somehow it feels like we've turned around here a little bit. It kind of does. But I think when you understand that uh, in the scriptures, the human heart is the center of, um, it's the operating center of the person. Uh, It includes his will, his intellect, his emotions. 
a whole person is one who's been cleansed uh, in the center by God, and now he's free to move back out in a relationship with God and others without falsehood. And so there's nothing to hide. He can be an authentic person with God and other people, living a transparent life, the same in public and in private. And so this whole person um, who is um, pure in heart, I mean, it's just... It, it, you can almost think of it as a requirement for engaging in love. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the best I could do to kind of fit it into these beatitudes of action. Mm-hmm. The best thing we can give others is our holiness. We talk about that sometimes. That's not a thought original to me, obviously. Um, but we're not going to be loving people if we're not engaged in purity of heart. Sure. So, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. A reconciler. I mean, um, one who actively pursues peace with God and other people. And the same thing, we've been shown peace by God. He's reconciled himself to us. He's the one who took the action. And so we are called to move out and extend peace to others. Um, And this will often involve pain. Um, The pain of apologizing to a person, uh, telling a person how uh, they wronged you. I mean, for, for those of us that are married, you understand how painful it can be sometimes uh, to pursue your spouse when you know you were the one who messed up Yeah, and try to extend peace and ask for forgiveness. Um, And so as you move out to make peace, though, and ask forgiveness, uh, you're demonstrating God's character, taking on the family characteristics, we might say. Mm. And so that's why Jesus calls us to pursue um, uh, the peace as uh, his sons and daughters. I like the the family analogy there, uh, or marriage at least, because that that's such a, I guess marriage particularly, but family more generally is is a place where we often feel strife the most, mm-hmm. which is sort of the opposite of peace. And so the the peacemaker in my mind is not someone who avoids the conflict or. Um, sits quietly so as to not provoke the uncle at Thanksgiving or something mm-hmm. like that, but is someone who actively seeks to reduce the strife that every family feels. Yep. Yep. And we'll touch on this next week, but the the last part of the Beatitudes are, uh, blessed are uh, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the question is, what would you expect after you pour your life out like this for other people? Uh, You'd probably expect uh, favor in return, right? Uh, Being uh, Folks being appreciative for your sacrifices, uh, thinking well of how you care for them. But Jesus tells us to expect something different tells us that we can expect scorn and suffering in return for pouring our lives out for others. Um, and that's because, like we mentioned earlier, there is an attractive aspect of these Beatitudes, but there's also an aspect where the world looks at this and rages. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, if Jesus, the one who embodied these Beatitudes perfectly, made people upset in the way that he loved others— you could imagine that that's going to be the case for us as his followers. And that's an interesting thought exercise is to think about Jesus as the one who perfectly embodies right. the Beatitudes. He's the perfect whole man. Um, if there's anybody that exhibited these qualities in life, it was him. And what did it get him? 
Right. Um, now, there were some that really appreciated uh, his life, obviously, uh, but there were others that were raging mad. Um, and so um, we'll talk a little bit more next week about how um, the Beatitudes lead to persecution and then the results of us being salt and light in the world, bringing praise to the Lord as we live this way. But for now, we'll just kind of leave it there that sure. it's just... It's it's a little bit ironic that these good qualities um, raise people's dander, so to speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yep, yeah. I had a quick question or thought as I was listening to you guys, and I've, I'm, I was hearing, uh, reading, some, listening to some other things, and I wanted to kind of throw this thought out there for if you guys agree, disagree. Uh, maybe it's not a good thought, but I'm gonna see if I can put together like Genesis 1, Exodus 20, the Beatitudes, and essentially Galatians. And the the overriding theme is our purpose as human beings. Um, Genesis 1, we start off, our purpose is to be image bearers of God. We are his, that is what we are created to do, be his imagers. You get into Exodus, and we're given the law, and one of the is, you should not bear my name in vain. You shouldn't walk around with my name. You are going to be my imagers to a fallen world. Don't take that for granted, and don't don't be disreputable. You get to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is essentially saying, here's more of how to be proper imagers of Yahweh, of how to be him in the world, mm-hmm. i.e. me, but he's tagging on to this theme of you're called out to be different. This is coming from a different place. This is not coming from the world in which you know. This is coming from a different realm. Um, and you are called out people here is what I'm calling you out to do and be and reflect. And it doesn't, it sounds odd, but then you see Paul pick it up in Galatians, like you mentioned with the spirit of the fruit. And it's so tightly aligned that you have to think like, okay, this is, there's something, it's coming from someplace else. And it's not a call to morality. Uh It's a supernatural call to a, loyalty and a a cognition and a soul bending the knee saying i am created for something more mm-hmm. yeah i mean a way i think about it too gene it's kind of piggybacking on what you're saying but maybe not aligning perfectly is you know you can tell that Abby's my daughter by looking at her, right? I mean, she's got my eyes, maybe some of my features. All of your kids look exactly like you. Or Rachel. They, even, that's they, even better. There's no doubt that they're Novaks. Whatever, so, <laughs> whether it's you and or Rachel. your kids are McCandlesses, and you know other kids they're running around the really gym. <laughs> you know, you can tell who their parents are just by looking at them, and it's a really helpful picture to have in mind as we think about the Beatitudes. Because the words from Jesus are in many ways a description of character traits. Um, they're what followers of Jesus look like. The Beatitudes are family characteristics. And so it does get back on what you're talking about, G. You're made in God's image 
Exodus chapter 20 kind of builds on that in terms of this is what character traits of the family look like. You've got it in the Beatitudes, and then you've got it again in Galatians. Right. This um, is what a renewed human. Yep. This is what a re, this is what human beings were called to be. If, and and it's like, uh, that's totally different than everything else anybody's ever taught in history that you're saying that as a creature, I'm called to be essentially opposite of what everybody else has told me I should be. Sure. Yeah. And it's supernatural. That's the other thing yeah. you've got to keep in mind. Um, yeah. So, but yeah. that's the Beatitudes in a nutshell, I guess. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. We'll continue this next week, folks, picking up with um, salt and light as as folks who live the uh, live the words of the Beatitudes are, uh, as Jesus points out here, may find themselves in persecution, persecution. And so we'll talk about what it means to be salt and light in that respect. Folks, if you've got questions on this episode or you have other questions, particularly around the Sermon on the Mount, although really anything, we'll take anything. Um, that you send our way, you can send those to questions at trinitygracesa.org. That's an email address. We look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, we'll see you later.